The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Five. The following winter brought an event no less strange than Wilbur's first trip outside the Dunwich region. Correspondence with the Widener Library at Harvard, the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, the British Museum, the University of Buenos Aires, and the Library of Miskatonic University of Arkham had failed to get him the loan of a book he desperately wanted. So at length he set out in person, shabby, dirty, bearded, and uncouth of dialect, to consult the copy at Miskatonic which was the nearest to him geographically. Almost eight feet tall and carrying a cheap new valise from Osborne's general store, this dark and goatish gargoyle appeared one day in Arkham in quest of the dreaded volume kept under lock and key at the college library, the hideous Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul al-Hazrad, in Olas Wormius's Latin version, as printed in Spain in the 17th century. He had never seen a city before, but had no thought save to find his way to the university grounds, where, indeed, he passed heedlessly by the great white-fanged watchdog that barked with unnatural fury and enmity, and tugged frantically at its stout chain. Wilbur had with him the priceless but imperfect copy of Dr. D.'s English version, which his grandfather had bequeathed him, and upon receiving access to the Latin copy, he at once began to collate the two texts with the aim of discovering a certain passage which would have come on the 751st page of his own defective volume. This much he could not civilly refrain from telling the librarian, the same erudite Henry Armitage who had once called at the farm and who now politely plied him with questions. He was looking, he had to admit, for a kind of formula or incantation containing the frightful name yog sothoth and it puzzled him to find discrepancies, duplications, and ambiguities which made the matter of determination far from easy. As he copied the formula he finally chose, Dr. Armitage looked involuntarily over his shoulder at the open pages, the left-hand one of which, in the Latin version, contained such monstrous threats to the peace and sanity of the world. Nor is it to be thought, ran the text, as Armitage mentally translated it, that man is either the oldest or the last of earth's masters, or that the common bulk of life and substance walks alone. The old ones were, the old ones are, and the old ones shall be. Not in the spaces we know, but between them. They walk serene and primal, undimensioned, and to us unseen. Yogg-Sothoth knows the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the gate. Yogg-Sothoth is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, future, all are one in Yogg-Sothoth. He knows where the old ones broke through of old and where they shall break through again. He knows where they have trod earth's fields and where they still tread them, and why no one can behold them as they tread. By their smell can men sometimes know them near, but of their semblance can no man know 
saving only in the features of those they have begotten on mankind. And of those there are many sorts, differing in likeness from man's truest eidolon to that shape without sight or substance which is them. They walk unseen and foul in lonely places, where the words have been spoken and the rites howled through at their seasons. The wind gibbers with their voices, and the earth mutters with their consciousness. They bend the forest and crush the city. Yet may not forest or city behold the hand that smites. Kadath in the cold waste hath known them, and what man knows Kadath? The ice desert of the south and the sunken isles of ocean hold stones whereon their seal is engraven. But who hath seen the deep frozen city, or the sealed tower long garlanded with seaweed and barnacles? Great Cthulhu is their cousin, yet can he spy them only dimly. Ia, Shobnigaroth! As a foulness shall ye know them. Their hand is at your throats, yet ye see them not, and their habitation is even one with your guarded threshold. Yogg-Sothoth is the key to the gate whereby the spheres meet. Man rules now where they once ruled. They shall soon rule where man rules now. After summer is winter, and after winter summer they wait patient and potent, for here shall they reign again. Dr. Armitage, associating what he was reading with what he had heard of Dunwich and its brooding presences, and of Wilbur Waitley and his dim, hideous aura that stretched from a dubious birth to a cloud of probable matricide, felt a wave of fright as tangible as a draft of the tomb's cold clamminess. The bent, goatish giant before him seemed like the spawn of another planet or dimension, like something only partly of mankind, and linked to black gulfs of essence and entity that stretch like titan phantasms beyond all spheres of force and matter, space and time. Presently Wilbur raised his head and began speaking in that strange, resonant fashion which hinted at sound-producing organs unlike the ruin of mankind's. "'Mr. Armitage,' he said, "'I calculate I've got to take that book home. These things in it I've got to try under certain conditions that I can't get here.' and it'd be a mortal sin to let a red-tape rule hold me up. Let me take it along, sir, and I'll swear they won't nobody know the difference. I don't need to tell you I'll take good care of it. It wasn't me that put this D copy in the shape it is. He stopped as he saw firm denial on the librarian's face, and his own goatish features grew crafty. Armitage, half ready to tell him he might make a copy of what parts he needed, thought suddenly of the possible consequences— and checked himself. There was too much responsibility in giving such a being the key to such blasphemous outer spheres. Waitley saw how things stood, and tried to answer lightly. Well, all right, if you feel that way about it, maybe Harvard wouldn't be so fussy as you be. And without saying more, he rose and strode out of the building, stooping at each doorway. Armitage heard the savage yelping of the great watchdog and studied Waitley's gorilla-like lope as he crossed the bit of campus visible from the window. He thought of the wild tales he had heard and recalled the old Sunday stories in the advertiser, these things and the lore he had picked up from Dunwich rustics and villagers during his one visit there. Unseen things not of the earth, or at least not of tridimensional earth, rushed fetid and horrible through New England's glens and brooded obscenely on the mountaintops. Of this he had long felt certain. Now he seemed to sense the close presence of some terrible part of the intruding horror, and to glimpse a hellish advance in the black dominion of the ancient and once passive nightmare. 
He locked away the Necronomicon with a shudder of disgust, but the room still reeked with an unholy and unidentifiable stench. As a foulness shall ye know them, he quoted. Yes, the odor was the same as that which had sickened him at the Waitley farmhouse less than three years before. He thought of Wilbur, goatish and ominous once again, and laughed mockingly at the village rumors of his parentage. Hinbreeding, Armitage muttered half aloud to himself. Great God! What simpletons! Show them Arthur Mackin's great god Pan, and they'll think it a common Dunwich scandal. But what thing, what cursed shapeless influence, on or off this three-dimensioned earth, was Wilbur Waitley's father? Born on Candlemas, nine months after May Eve of 1912, when the talk about the queer earth noises reached clear to Arkham, what walked on the mountains that May night? What rudeness horror fashioned itself on the world in half-human flesh and blood? During the ensuing weeks, Dr. Armitage set about to collect all possible data on Wilbur Waitley and the formalist presence around Dunwich. He got in communication with Dr. Houghton of Aylbury, who had attended old Waitley in his last illness and found much to ponder over in the grandfather's last words as quoted by the physician. A visit to Dunwich Village failed to bring out much that was new, but a close survey of the Necronomicon in those parts which Wilbur had sought so avidly, seemed to supply new and terrible clues to the nature, methods, and desires of the strange evil so vaguely threatening this planet. Talks with several students of archaic lore in Boston, and letters to many others elsewhere, gave him a growing amazement, which passed slowly through varied degrees of alarm to a state of really acute spiritual fear. As the summer drew on, he felt dimly that something ought to be done about the lurking terrors of the upper Miskatonic Valley, and about the monstrous being known to the human world as Wilbur Waitley. You've been listening to The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. Read by Dr. Bradley Will. Produced by Stephen Schleicher. This audiobook was produced in 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment.